I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Adam, we got more fuel for the Drew Locke and Denver Broncos excitement fire on Monday when Troy Rink with Channel 7 or the Denver Channel tweeted that while practicing social guidelines, Drew Locke has thrown to a few receivers recently. The hope is to amp it up when allowed. Drew Locke is doing everything permissible to get ready for the upcoming season. Now, one of the things that I saw from people commenting on it is who was he throwing to? Were any of them receivers? So we don't know the receivers that he was working with, but that is an, like I tweeted on Monday when I saw it, I've said it before, but man, I am so stoked that Locke is the the Broncos quarterback. Yet more evidence that he gets and has it. Here's to Locke being the guy for at least the next decade. Yeah, please, the next decade, I, and and a good decade at that. I, you know, it's interesting I, because I don't think that it's necessarily important that he's throwing to his current crop of receivers. I mean, it would be nice, but I, you know, understanding the situation that we're living in today and knowing that everybody has families that they have to be concerned about, and uh, that you know they're all coming from different places, and so you kind of got to take a step back and just understand how just how nice it is that 
we're getting news that Drew Locke is is uh, taking on that leadership role of saying, you know what, I'm going to start working. I, I have to start working. Uh, couple that with the idea that uh, we are as excited as we are about just the way that he carries himself. I think I think that's really what gets me going about Drew Locke is not so much his physical skill set. And we we talked about this before we started recording, and it, and it it really does hold true for me. It's not about his physical skill set. He has all the skills as a, as a quarterback that you need. He can make the throws. He's got good footwork. I'm sure he's got some things he needs to work on just like everybody else. It's the mental side of being a quarterback in the NFL that can be so grueling and, and be such a difficult thing to overcome for these young quarterbacks. And and I'll take you not very much further back than Paxton Lynch. And I know that when I say that people cringe, don't, don't hang up on us yet. I, still believe that physically speaking, Paxton Lynch has the skills, the the arm strength, the footwork, those kinds of things to be a quarterback in the NFL. Mentally, he he's just nowhere near capable of handling the pressure of being the guy on a team. And in the NFL, almost unlike any other sport that I have ever seen, there is one guy, one guy on the team that has to be able to shoulder all of that responsibility and all of that sort of dumps onto him. And, and as a rookie, I think Paxton Lynch has had his confidence destroyed and then couldn't handle it, which sort of proved that mentally he just wasn't going to be able to do what the Denver Broncos needed him to do. Now I'll take you back to where we are today with Drew Locke. I do not get that indication from him whatsoever. I don't see him as mentally soft. I don't, I don't believe just based on what we've seen, that he's the type of kid that gets shook, that he's the type of kid that has problems overcoming adversity, you know, or something doesn't go right and it's just he just crumbles. Uh, he's the type of kid to me that something doesn't go right. He goes, dang, that sucks. He laughs about it. He throws out a few bars of the rap song that's playing in the stadium. And the next time he goes out, he forgot that he threw an interception or he forgot that he took a bad sack or he forgot that he fumbled uh, and the ball got in and he's just back into being Drew Locke and being the quarterback. So the excitement that we feel every time we get this kind of news, Drew Locke is working on throwing is yes, we like that he's working on his skill set, but it's more about, in my opinion, his being mentally obviously the guy and he's he's fine with it and he likes it and he accepts it and that is what you want in a starting quarterback i think the other thing that it shows is he's a leader he is taking it upon himself to be the guy not just the quarterback but the leader for the broncos on offense which is something that they've lacked since peyton manning retired and I think the other big thing that that shows that he gets it is he's talked to Peyton Manning over the course of this offseason on what he has to do and how he has to do it and when to do it. And that ties into what you said, that he gets it mentally. Because a lot of quarterbacks get it physically. They have the the physical traits. They have the skills. What keeps them from doing it is the mental side of it. And you, you've touched on this on a couple of the, of the recent podcasts that we've done, that 
when True Lock first talked to Jerry Judy, he's like, we can dive into the playbook right now. That shows that he gets it mentally, that he gets it as a leader. That just adds more fuel to the fire because one of the things that has kept me excited about Drew Locke is not necessarily the performance against the Houston Texans. It was what he did after his poor performance, poor for the first five games that he played against the, the against the Kansas City Chiefs. It didn't go as he as he wanted, as he expected, as he had hoped in his first game back against the team that he grew up rooting for. But he came out the next week, put it behind him, and played better. That's something that you can build on. That's something if you're Pat Shermer and Mike Shula that you can take and say, okay, this kid wants to do it. He can do it. He wants to do it. You know, and the other thing is, as you're talking there, the thing that sort of clicks in my head is when you've got a player like that, when you've got a quarterback like that, it gives the offensive coordinator and the quarterback's coach, the people who are calling the plays, the people who are putting together an offensive game plan, it gives them the confidence to go back to you, to to not shy away from allowing Drew Locke to, to be, uh, I guess, to be Drew Locke, right? They're not going to take the football out of his hands because he made a mistake, because they know that, A, he he puts in the work mentally. He's doing the book work that it takes to be a good quarterback. And, B, he he is capable of just letting it go, which is, is hard to do. That is a skill that not very many people have, not just in football, but in life in general. People hold grudges. People don't let go of their mistakes. People don't have the ability to say, well, I messed that up, but I'm going to move on. Moving on is one of the most difficult things to do for human beings. And, you know, I think about it in terms of, of pitching and, being, you know, being a pitcher growing up as a kid and, uh, you know, in competitive sports. And I was always I always liked being a pitcher. But I will tell you, uh, I give up a lot of dingers because that was the type of pitcher I was. You were either going to hit a ground ball or you were going to hit it out. I wasn't great, but I had to be able to let it go. Was I able to? I think I did. All right. I don't know. You'd have to ask the old man on that. But that is a skill to be able to say, ah, I shouldn't have thrown that pitch. I'm going to let that go. Or ah, I should, I should have known the defensive back was baiting me. I'm going to let it go. Or, you know, those kinds of things give the offensive coordinator confidence. When the offensive coordinator says, I don't have to worry about his mental state. So I don't have to, to, you know, put the kid gloves on with him. I can just run the plays that I want to run and he's not going to completely collapse. That is an important aspect of being a quarterback in the NFL. And it gives Pat Shermer the opportunity to really put into his playbook the types of plays that he wants, knowing that he can trust that even if Drew Locke makes a mistake, he's not going to hold on to that and let it affect him moving on. Now, we're talking about this with a a sample of five games. We have a five-game sample with Drew Locke. But in those five games, it is impressive that he has been able to create that sort of image around him in just five games that he has that mental ability. That to me is something that I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback in five games show that type of ability to sort of say, look at him. He did, he's, he's got it mentally. Uh, you know, I was thinking about Aaron Rodgers here. 
I don't even know if Aaron Rodgers was able to do that in five games. Now, I'm not saying that Drew Locke is going to be Aaron Rodgers. Don't do that. But think about quarterbacks that just don't care. I mean, R-E-L-A-X, right? Aaron Rodgers is, has got that same mentality. I like to see that Drew Locke seems to be on that trajectory. One thing that I was thinking about as you were talking is I was thinking as a young writer and whenever I would have something edited by either the managing editor or executive editor, or whoever was editing my story at the time, I didn't take criticism. Well, I didn't take them changing something in my story. Well, because taking criticism it, it takes a long time for you to realize that it's not personal. And I hate that line more than anything in business. It's not personal. The only reason it's not personal is because you're the one saying it and it's not personal to you. But in terms of criticism for a story or in the example of Drew Locke, Drew Locke is able to take criticism. Because there's an interview that he did with James Palmer from NFL Network where he said that Pat Shermer and Mike Shula are able to mold me into the quarterback that they want. You don't say something like that if you can't take criticism. If you can't be in the quarterback room and you're watching film and your offensive coordinator or your quarterback coach are telling you, yes, this is going well, but here's where you can do even better. This is what you can do that will make you an even better quarterback. That's the type of criticism that I'm talking about. And that's another way to get excited about him. Another reason to get excited about Drew Locke. Because as a young quarterback, to be able to take that kind of criticism, not just the mistakes that he makes on the field or a bad performance, but criticism and then how he can mold that and make him a better player is something that you can really get excited about. Because as a writer, as a professional writer, it took me at least five years to finally realize that if something was changed in a story by an editor, it wasn't because I was a horrible writer or they didn't like me as a writer. It's because they wanted to make it better. And so many times as a young person in your career, you struggle with that. And the fact that Drew Locke already gets it as a rookie in the NFL with five games under his belt, that's impressive to me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's funny because, again, as you're talking there, I'm starting to think about, you know, as a teacher, you're evaluated uh, every year. And you have an administrator who comes in and watches you teach and, and they give you criticism. That, it is hard to go through, to sit in, a, sit in your boss's office and have them go through and essentially just tick off all of the mistakes they saw you make. Look, you didn't do this right. You didn't do this right. You didn't do this right. And it's hard to sit there and and really take that on and go, okay, well, I didn't do this right. This guy doesn't like me. No, that's not what that means. You didn't do this right. I'm telling you, you didn't do it right. So you can change. So you can fix. So you can do better. And that's something that, like you know, like we've been saying here. If you can take criticism and then grow from it, then you're you're ahead of the game, just completely ahead of the game. And that is the thing that we keep coming back to. This offseason is, is going to be all about Drew Locke because that's where Broncos country is right now. And we keep coming back to this, just this 
this kid that just apparently has an innate ability to take criticism and use it to grow and, and want to get better. And that's a big part of that. You take that criticism and you utilize it and you make yourself better. That That is something that is, it's hard to do, but if you can figure out a way to do it and not take it personally, like you said, you're going to be better off. And he seems to just have no problems with that. He's very coachable. That's another thing. He seems very coachable. And, and I, you know, as someone who's, who has been a coach, uh, you know, I coached high school baseball for a little while, and now I'm coaching little kids with my son in little league. Not right now, obviously. And you know, you can tell the kids that want to get better and they want to learn and they, and they have a desire to, to be better, but are willing to work to get better. Those are the coachable kids. And then you can tell the kids that just aren't going to go very far because they don't take criticism. They don't listen to their coaches. They, you know, they think it's a personal attack. It's not. And so if, if nothing else as we sit here and we talk about Drew Locke and the future of the Denver Broncos, mentally speaking, as a quarterback, he's the type of guy you want under center. He just is. I've said this on a prior podcast. I'll say it again. He loves football. He doesn't just love the physical aspects of football. He doesn't just love to be on the field and to to, to, to spin it to his receivers to, to play the game. He loves everything about football. I think it's clear, and it's big, we go back to this Jerry Judy comment that he made when Judy was drafted about getting into the playbook. He loves the mental side of the game. He loves to study it. And I've said this, that's what made Peyton Manning one of the one of the, the greatest quarterbacks, if not the greatest quarterback in history. It wasn't because of his physical gifts. It wasn't because of the way that he could spin it. It's because of the way he prepared. And the fact that Drew Locke loves that aspect of the game is another reason you can get excited and you can believe in him that he's the guy for this organization for at least the next decade because – they don't come around that often. You touched on Paxton Lynch. We should have known the moment he did that goddamn goofy dab gif <laughs> that that was it. Oh, I feel so bad for him with that. I mean, they they told him, "Hey, do a dance," and he did a dance, and he looked he looked exactly like he looked as a quarterback. That was just that's the other thing that I'll, I'll say about that stupid gif. Is my God, I still cannot. Every time I see it, I cannot believe how big Paxton Lynch, Paxton Lynch's feet are. He's got some big feet. My God, he's got some skis. I'll tell you, as, as somebody with big feet, I mean, I have a size 14. I have to wear a size 14 shoe. I have to, otherwise, they'd be too small or, or too big if I went bigger. And that's, that was my booger for today. I have to wear a size 14 shoe because if I didn't, they'd be too small or too big. So 14 is the number. Can we start calling that a John Madden? Because you don't want to call it a Booger McFarland is an idiot. Okay. <laughs> we can. So all right, I, 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 it's over, Fat Man. Um, that's all I think of when I hear John Madden. I, but it is, it is the poor kid with his big feet. It's, it's just the way it is. But, but I will say, and this kind of, kind of, sort of push us along here in this conversation. If Drew Locke is the quarterback for the next decade, if we can sit here and say, okay, he's in for a decade, we've got him. What do the Broncos have to do now moving forward to stop the Chiefs? And, and this has been something that's been touched on by, uh, you know, Jeff and Joe talked about it on Cover 2 Broncos. I, I know multiple uh, Broncos country media outlets, lots of lots of writers and podcasters and everybody wants to know, well, what is it that the Broncos have to do now to beat the Chiefs? 
or to stop the Chiefs because the Chiefs are at the top of the mountain. As much as we hate to say that and as much as we we enjoyed our, you know, ability to troll them about the number of Super Bowls and blah, 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 blah. My skin just crawled, by the Sorry, way. Sorry, I know. I didn't want to do that, but it is where we're at. There, We as fans are, have to accept it, and then the Denver Broncos have to accept it and figure out what they can do to stop the Chiefs. So what is it that they do? And it, it, I know it always it all starts with the quarterback, but it but what else is there? I mean, that's really the conversation that you have to get into. And this is spurred from a comment from Vaughn Miller when he did a Washington Post story about his coronavirus. And I, 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 I believe this came from the Washington Post. He also talked to USA Today about what the coronavirus did to him and um, the impact that it had on him. To get back to this on how do the Broncos beat the Chiefs, Von Miller said, can't. We've got to score more points. If we're able to get off the field, you can hold them to a third down here and there, but that's on our offense. We've got to score on offense because you cannot. It's not smart to go into the game and say, we're going to hold Patrick Mahomes to no point, to no, to no points. And I, I think that's that's it. I, I mean, even with Vic Fangio, you're not going to be able to stop Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense. So you have to score more than they do. I think what would help is to be able to, to make them one-dimensional. I, I think that's one way that you have to make the Kansas City Chiefs. If they're able to throw the foot, if they're able to run the football on top of what they do vertically through the air with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Kel Hardman and whoever else, they're impossible to beat. So you have to put them in second and third and long. To me, that has to be the goal defensively, but it all starts with the offense. You have to be able to score points. You have to be able to keep up with them. And I'll, I'll take it a step further. You have to score touchdowns. That's one of the reasons the Broncos drafted Jerry Judy and drafted KJ Hamler and drafted Akbu Ebu, Ak, Albert Akbu Ebunam. Alberto is fine. I think everybody's fine. It, that's why they did what they did, so that they can score touchdowns. It's not points necessarily. It's touchdowns. That's a really good point that you've made, not to use the word point there, but I was Monday night. We're this is a two, we're recording on Tuesday the nineteenth here. Uh, Monday night football. They replayed the 2018 Monday night football game between the Broncos and the Chiefs in Denver. Uh, and uh, I, my son said, "Are we going to watch this?" And I said, "Absolutely not." And he said, "Why not?" And I said, "Because the Broncos lose, and uh, there's there's no point in watching this game." I, as I recall, that was the game that Case Keenum misses Demarius Thomas for a, an easy touchdown that would have given the Broncos a win, one that they haven't had against the Chiefs in forever. And your point is is sort of summed up in that game. If the Broncos could have scored points in that game, if they could have scored touchdowns in that game, then we wouldn't be talking about the last time the Denver Broncos beat the Chiefs was in week two of 2015 uh, as they headed off to, to win the Super Bowl. Instead, we'd be talking about the last time they beat the Chiefs was that Monday night game in 2018. We might be talking about Case Keenum as a starting quarterback still, you know, the ripple effect. But your your point is is well made in that 
to beat a team like the Chiefs, you, you have to score points. You have to score touchdowns, not field goals. You have to be able to match them in some way. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to, like Von Miller said, you're not going to hold Patrick Mahomes to zero points. But the biggest issue with the Denver Broncos over the course of the last five seasons minimum has been offense. It has been scoring touchdowns. It's been putting enough points on the board that the defense hasn't been just completely smothered. And as a defensive player, I can only I would love to, to have an honest conversation with Von Miller or Chris Harris Jr., who's who's gone now, or any of the guys that were on that defense for uh, you know a few years after the Super Bowl and even that Super Bowl year, and just ask them in an honest moment. Because obviously, as a media member, uh, you know they would tell any media member, "No, we just do our job." In an honest moment, how awful does it feel? When you've done your job and you've held a team to 17 points or 14 points or, or 10 points and you still lose the game, how does that what, what does that do to the locker room? What does that do to you know to your side of the football? And I because we all know the canned answer there is, hey, we, we do our job. We, we go out there and do what we're, we're asked to do and what we're supposed to do and everybody does their job and that'll eventually get us a win. Yeah, okay. Honestly, how does it feel when you've held a team to 17 points and you're walking off the field with a loss? Now, looking in forward to 2020, not just the Chiefs, and I think that's the other thing we have to sort of step away from. It can't just be about the Chiefs. It's got to be about all those teams that have been beating the Denver Broncos because the Broncos haven't won a ton of games over the last couple of seasons. Not just the Chiefs. How do you win games in today's NFL when you have a defense like the Broncos do it comes down to the offense it comes down to putting points on the board and the idea of grabbing a guy like Jerry Judy and then getting KJ Hamler with that second pick and then getting Albert Akbuegwanam and making sure that you have that that second tight end security blanket for your young quarterback you're building a team that's going to have the opportunity to score touchdowns Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay, obviously in the backfield. Don't forget those guys, right? You kind of lose those guys in the shuffle. The opportunity to score touchdowns is going to be there. They've got to finish and winning games in the NFL. And this is one of those old cliches that you could, we've talked about ad nauseum is about touchdowns. You can't trade field goals for touchdowns. You can't rely on, you know, getting inside the 20 and then just having Brandon McManus kick field goals. It's got to be about touchdowns. And it's pretty clear that John Elway and Vic Fangio clearly understand that that is the deficiency on this team. And so that's what they went out and tried to fix. And I think they've, I think on paper, they've done a pretty good job. Let's not forget the third phase of an NFL game or a football, because it's just as important as the other two. And it's been an area that has lacked for the Broncos since the Super Bowl year, and that's special teams. When you play against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs, you cannot give up field position. In the rare chance that you get to pin them in their own zone, you have to be able to do it. So that means you have a punter who's able to place it inside the 10 and not give you a touchback. I would much rather have Patrick Mahomes trying to go from the 5 than the 20. That's 15 yards of free offense. That's basically an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that you just committed on yourself. So special teams has to be better, especially against the Chiefs. But overall, 
it has to be able to win you field position. You have a defense. You've had a defense. You hopefully now have an offense. As Mike Shanahan would say, we need that third option to really be able to step up and not lose games. So in terms of punting, in terms of returning, kickoff returns, that's how you can start to slowly edge towards beating teams that maybe you weren't supposed to beat because you have all three phases of the game in order and playing really well. And I think that's another way that gets overlooked by beating the Kansas City Chiefs is you may not get every opportunity to shut Patrick Mahomes down, but you are going to have the opportunities where you get to him and he struggles. So whether it's in inside the in Kansas City's own zone or you're able to have a drive that gets into Chiefs territory, you're able to pin them deep. If they have to punt from deep in their own zone, you're able to get field position and have a returner who's able to give you field position inside their own territory. You're not going to bobble a punt. You're not going to muff it. You're not going to have a stupid holding penalty from one of your gunners. You're able to flip field position and win those battles when you can because those are just as important as scoring touchdowns because they turn into touchdowns one way or another. I, I, how, how can you argue with that? I, it's true. Football is a three-phase sport, and two of the Broncos' phases have been less than stellar for the last, oh gosh, I don't know how long. I don't want to talk about it. And so you're absolutely right. The other thing I think is important here, and we talk a lot about the Chiefs because that is that's sort of the gold star standard right now in the NFL because they won the Super Bowl. Sorry about that. But it's not just about the Chiefs. And I, I kind of touched on it a, a minute ago. But it is something that I think is important to remember. There are other mile markers that you have to get past. There are other things you have to accomplish that aren't just beating the Chiefs. And, uh, you know, in, in 2020, it might be, you know, win 10 games. And maybe you don't beat the Chiefs at all. But you beat some teams that in 2019 and 2018 and 2017, you wouldn't have beaten because you didn't know how to win or because you didn't have the offense to put up enough points. And if you go back and you and you look at some of those losses and, and what were the things that could have been improved upon that would have given the Broncos more wins, can you build on some of those things and create a, a, an atmosphere of winning that is that is not just about, oh, we have to beat the Chiefs? Because at the end of the day, and we, we've said this before, and I, I love this old cliche. It's something that I... You know, I grew up saying as a Denver Bronco fan, if the Broncos go two and fourteen, as long as those two wins are against are against the Raiders, I'm happy. That's not actually true. Now, let me just let me give you a little inside baseball here. If the Broncos go two and fourteen and all they did was beat the Raiders, I mean, I'm glad they beat the Raiders, but I'm still pretty disappointed that they went two and fourteen. If they go two and fourteen and all they do is beat the Chiefs in 2020, that's a bad season. That's not a good season for the Denver Broncos. Even though we'll be happy that they beat the Chiefs, it won't matter. They'll have the number one pick in the draft, and I guess then we get Trevor Lawrence. Oh, wait a minute. Hang on a second. No, no, not doing it. I'm, I'm a Drew Locke guy. I'm on, I'm, I'm on the Drew train. But the point is, it can't just be about beating the Chiefs. That is where you, you, start, to, you start to lose sight of the actual goal. And the goal is to actually get into the playoffs and make a deep run and have an impact that is beyond – just a six and 10 or a five and 11 team that the Denver Broncos have been for the last few years. 
So yes, beat the Chiefs. That's the gold standard. But it also has to be about all the other steps along the way, all the other little mile markers, the other teams that you have to beat, winning those close games, uh, be- beating teams that maybe you shouldn't have beat. Like when they beat Houston, that was that was a win that they shouldn't have got. But they went out and they got it. And I, I took a little flack because I said it was it ended up being closer than it should have been. I I, I still say they kind of started to, to poo themselves in the fourth quarter and turn back into the Denver Broncos there. They just were up by so much that it didn't matter. You do have to be able to kind of get through those mile markers that lead you to the possibility of beating the Chiefs. And then that is the, the final step. I think one of the things we're saying is that you want to get to the point where you're a complete team against everybody, not just the chiefs, but what it does is give you a better chance at beating the chiefs. So I think the teams that are maybe are a better barometer for the Broncos this season would be the Buffalo bills. I think the Atlanta Falcons, I think our team that could be in that same vicinity, um, so those are the teams that I, I think and the games that will that will tell you an awful lot about how this season is going to go for the Denver Broncos and where they will be because you touched on it. They're going to have to win the games that they're not expected to. If they want to be a playoff team, if they want to be a team that has a winning record, that's how they're going to have to do it. They're going to have to win the games that they're not expected to. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers in week two, is a prime example of that. That's another team that's going to be right in that vicinity that the Broncos are going to have to beat if they want to make the playoffs. So when you look at those conference games, obviously the Bills are hopeful that since Tom Brady is now in Tampa, that they're the team that's going to win the AFC East. But you're still going to have to beat them to give yourself a shot to get into the wild card spot. The same goes for the Bills. The same goes for, I think an interesting test will be the Dolphins. And I'll throw in the Patriots. I think the Jets are... (laughs) I mean, curious to see how the Jets do, right? (laughs) All you have to do is keep an eye on Adam Gase on the sideline and see whether or not he's even paying attention. Is Is he looking at the field? And then the Chargers. I think the Chargers are a very interesting team. I, I, I it will be interested to see how they how long they stick with Tyrod Taylor if they stick with him or if they go directly to Justin Herbert and his miraculous uh, head of hair. He I'm just, not sold on the hair. Raiders at all. I I just I I just I don't see it. But I could be surprised, but I doubt it. I I'm very interested to see how this team looks and not just the the teams and the games that they're not supposed to, but the teams that they're supposed, the games they're supposed to win. Because I touched on this last week when we touched, when we talked about the schedule, Denver is in one of those weird areas where they hope they're on the rise, but there's still a lot of uncertainty. So they always, Denver is one of those teams where it plays up to its competition and typically plays down to its competition. To get to the point where they're a playoff team, 
they have to play well against everybody and they have to have that that even plateau where regardless of the competition they're the same team i think i think you're absolutely right on that and uh I guess we'll find out as we move forward and, and sort of see what happens. All right, let's do this. Uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, the Mile High Report has started. It's 90 and 90 uh, feature that we do every year where we talk about all 90 players that are on the roster right now. And, um, you know, there will be a, an article that comes out about different players each day. Uh, Ian's got one coming up. And so we're going we're gonna to do a quick preview on some of those, and then uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about some of the NFL news, and uh, we'll go from there. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So we're back, uh, and we, uh, like we said, are going to start to preview some of these 90 and 90 uh, players just so that we can kind of start to get into it. It's definitely interesting stuff. Uh, Ian, uh, I believe, are you the one who's writing the article on Isang Bassi, or is it uh, is somebody else? I can't remember. There's, so, there's like 90 of these guys that we got to write about. I can't remember who's doing what right now. I actually already wrote it, oh, so well, it's already go. up on milehighreport.com. It's been a long day. You know, Finishing the school year here, distance learning. I, I, I missed some things. It happens. What's interesting about uh, Bassey is he falls into that category that the Broncos have been selective of and wanted and targeted the last three years, and that's a team captain. So, and the other thing that's fascinating is Bassey is one of three. Wake Forest Demon Deacons that the Broncos either drafted or signed as an undrafted free agent. But obviously, and I told you this before we started recording, what makes Bassey such an interesting prospect for the Broncos is he's not just an undrafted free agent, but he's a cornerback. So obviously there's going to be that linkage to Chris Harris Jr. when he came out of the University of Kansas in 2011. So obviously the question is, can Bassey become the next Chris Harris Jr.? I think that's unfair. As I said in the story, it's a completely different team. He's a completely different player. These are completely different coaches. It's a completely different time in the National Football League. The thing that I think he has going in his favor is he has the same kind of makeup as Strap Harris. Similar to Strap. The reason he's called strap is because he'll strap it on and do whatever it takes to cover you. He'll do anything and everything on the field to do his job. Bassey is a similar type of player. He's known for being 
a competitor, a blue collar player, an underdog. So that I think gives him when you have that type of mentality, that's to tie to tie this around to the to Drew Locke, you're a coachable player at that point. When you're when you have that underdog mentality, you're gonna listen, you're open to criticism, but you're open to doing anything and everything that your teammates and your coaches ask of you. And I think the most likely scenario for him is that he'll end up on the practice squad. But the fact that he is that type of feisty player who is willing to get his his nose dirty, so to speak, as a defensive back, could get him on to the to the special teams unit. And if that happens, the as the old adage goes, Katie bar the door. Yeah, it's interesting because the one one of the areas that I think a lot of a lot of fans are concerned about is is defensive back. It's corner with uh you know with some some questions about injuries with uh Bryce Callahan and and some of the some of the injuries from players from last year and just it's just an area of concern and I know a lot of uh a lot of fans wanted them to go after uh defensive back early on in the draft first couple of rounds there was some some push for that and obviously that's not the way things went down uh but they did go and and they drafted Ojemudier uh out of Iowa and you also have you know uh, Isang Bassi, you know, a, 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 one of those guys that you're going to sign uh, as an undrafted free agent that uh, admittedly most fans are probably not going to know that much about. But with those kinds of, of holes, and I don't want to necessarily call it a hole, but it is an area of concern. It, it does seem like there is an opportunity there for a, an undrafted free agent, a guy like Bassey, to make an impression and then find his way onto the, the roster just by being like you said, the type of player that's willing to to get his nose dirty, to get you know get involved, to strap it on, as as we would say about Strap Harris. So uh, it will be interesting to see how he does. And and the undrafted free agents are always interesting because, again, Denver has a, a sort of a history of bringing on undrafted free agents who then make an impact and find a way on the field and do things that are not expected of them. You know. Look no further than Philip Lindsay. Look at Chris Harris Jr. Think about the way the the fact that Rod Smith probably has a Hall of Fame career with the Denver Broncos, and if he played for any other franchise, he'd be in the Hall of Fame right now. So, uh, you know, it is one of those things that we have spoken about on the podcast, a, a, almost a point of pride that the Denver Broncos have always been good at going and finding guys that are going to land on the team as undrafted free agents. I, I do think it's fascinating that they've got, you know, what, three Wake Forest guys, Sternod, Bassey, and then I don't know who, who's the other one. Oh, I knew you were going to put me on the spot. So, uh, see, he, I, that's me, he's a receiver. Right? I can't remember what his name okay. is. Well, you know, that's you don't have to remember it now. Somebody will look it up and they'll tell us in the comments. It's fine. But it kind of – so you, you could tell that they clearly were looking at Wake Forest probably for Sternod because that's who they drafted – but then you see these other guys and you go, hey, wait a minute, this is a guy we should probably start talking to. Hey, we're, you're not going to get drafted, but come you know, come time to sign with a team as an undrafted free agent, we'd love for you to think about us. That, that does give you sort of an understanding of how some of that stuff works. And then, again, that undrafted free agency sort of alumni of Denver, if, if you can join that group, if you can be one of those guys that becomes – uh, uh, not just a contributor, but a starting player for the Denver Broncos as an undrafted free agent, you will you will gain a loyal following. I guarantee it, 
And again, the Broncos have had some success with that. So it is definitely something to watch, to pay attention to. Uh, I, I will admit, I don't know enough about the undrafted free agents to speak to whether or not they'll make the team or not make the team or be on the practice squad or not be on the practice. I, I can't speak to that. But what I can say is the track record of the Denver Broncos has always been to find these guys and to uh, you know to 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 get guys like that to contribute in a positive way. Uh, even if, even when you go back to the days of the you know the twelve round draft, I mean, look at a guy like Carl Mecklenburg. When you got drafted that late, you probably weren't supposed to be what Carl Mecklenburg turned into a, a Hall of Fame caliber player. But the Denver Broncos have always been good at finding those guys, and that again, that's a point of pride. The other Wake Forest player that the Broncos signed as an undrafted free agent is receiver Kendall Hitton. There you go. Kendall Hitton. He should be a linebacker or something if, he's, if his name is Hitton. So he can do some Hitton. I guess you can do some Hitton as a wide receiver. That's it's just not as common. So you mentioned that uh, some fans wanted a cornerback in the first round or two. Would they be cornerback bros? Yeah, corner bros. Yeah, corner bros I think is, is a good way to go with that. You've got your corner bros. you got your tackle bros. There's a lot of bros out there. Too many bros. Are they intermittent? Is, are, are, are they one and the same, or are they different? I, I, I No, I think they're different. The tackle bros were were vocal. They were you, – you know who the tackle bros were because they made sure you knew who they were. Uh, I think the corner bros – you almost can't even classify them as corner bros. They wanted the Broncos to take a, a corner – uh, the Broncos didn't. They moved on. Yeah, you know, you know, I, I don't. I don't get the sense that there's like there are definitely people in Broncos country who are still this far after the draft complaining that Denver hasn't done enough to shore up the offensive line and and uh, fix the tackle position. And you know, it is what it is, right? I mean, I'm not going to get into to that argument, but yeah, the the corner bros are less vocal. They're they're there, but they're like, no, oh, okay, we'll move on. It's interesting. What do you think is the bigger weakness? Because we touched on the weaknesses last week, and we both said it's winning or winning close games. Is it offensive line tackle, or is it cornerback defensive back depth? You know what? I'm going to say it's cornerback defensive back depth because we don't know enough about Bryce Callahan. Uh, We we don't know enough about how the defense will look without Chris Harris Jr. Um, And and I think that what we saw – in the last five games of, of 2019 was that a, a good quarterback with some mobility and some understanding of, of how to play the position behind a bad offensive line can make an offensive line look better. The, the improvement to the offensive line um, under Drew Locke wasn't because the skill got better. And I, I think that if you, if you look at some of the, and, and, and we've had these conversations with, with Jeff and Joe uh, from Cover 2 Broncos, and, and they're, they're, they've done the deep dive into the, the, the film sessions or whatever. I, I don't think that just Garrett Bowles, for example, I don't think his skill set got any better. I don't think he became a better tackle. But like we've said, when you look at Peyton Manning and you look at you know some of these great quarterbacks, you can, you can mask some of those issues. And so to me masking the issue of tackle while it seems sort of silly that that would be something that you would do you can do that better than masking the problems at defensive back when you've got a bad defensive backfield 
good quarterbacks will find the the weak spots and they'll exploit them. And that is something that could be an area of concern. Uh, personally, I think Bryce Callahan's going to come back and, and be better than uh, people think he's going to be. My guess is he's probably going to be healed, but you never know. And uh, I also think that AJ Boye is going to fill in nicely as the replacement for Chris Harris as the the number one corner. And so I I do think the defensive backfield is going to be okay. Again, you've still got Justin Simmons. You've still got Kareem Jackson, both guys who played incredibly well in 2019, who look to be just as good in 2020. And, and so it'll depend. I mean, you're missing Will Parks, you're, you're, you know, but you're going to have, uh, you you still have Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel as the coaches who are, are really good at putting defensive players in a position to be successful. I have a lot of confidence in that, but I, I think that a quarterback can mask the issues of an offensive line better if he's a good enough quarterback than a defensive backfield can be hidden when it's an entire defensive backfield. So that that's going to be my area of concern. And it, it's not just to upset the tackle bros because they're not wrong. The Broncos need a better situation to tackle. So basically what you're saying is Drew Locke is the lipstick and Garrett Bowles is still the pig. He is. I just I cannot get over the the decision to just say that Drew Locke is lipstick. I just think that that's I mean, it's not it's not a bad analogy, but it is funny to say, look, in this analogy, Drew Locke is lipstick. Well, what color lipstick is he? Is he orange and blue lipstick? How does that work? Does it smear and become brown? Is he pink lipstick? Is he red lipstick? I mean, how horish are we getting here? Maybe I shouldn't have said that, but I'm just, just you know, just a thought there. How about instead of lipstick, he's the makeup. Uh, he's the, okay. He's the makeup. It's going to, he's going to make the, make the pig pretty. Okay. <laughs> and, and Garibald's is the pig. All right. Okay. So let's move on from that because uh, somebody's going to get mad at me for that. Probably my niece will say, what does that word mean? She doesn't like it when I swear. Uh, let's move on. It's a little news from the NFL. Um, obviously the owners are, you know, voting on new rules and things like that. And one of the rules that was approved uh, and this is per Jim Trotter, the uh, NFL Network, and I'm, I'm just going to read what what he tweeted out because I don't want to screw it up because I will. Um, NFL owners have voted to approve the resolution that would prevent teams from blocking assistant coaches from interviewing for coordinator positions, per sources, obviously. And then this is he said this is an important step. What what is your initial sort of reaction to this? resolution passing and and this idea of teams not being able to say, you know, for example, Ed Donatel gets a, you know, a request to be the defensive coordinator for a team. And Vic Fangio says, no, you can't do that. Uh, Or to go be the head coach. Vic Fangio says, no, you can't do that. What is now he can't do that right now. The, the, the franchise can't block an assistant from going and interviewing for another job with another team. Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Where's your, where's your head at on that? I, I think it's a good thing. I I think it's more for the assistant coaches who are, say, like a Bill Kolar who is a positional coach and wants to become a defensive coordinator. Under the previous rule, teams, coaches could block that assistant coach from doing that. So I think it's a good thing. I don't think you want to block people who are in your organization from taking a new job. I mean – either give them a new job or give them the opportunity to get a new job. I I don't think that the NFL teams in particular should hold 
the people who are looking to advance their career, that that, that should be held against them. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic. And, and one of the things that I kind of remember um, from, from recent history here uh, with the Denver Broncos was a big part of why uh, Bronco fans knew who Vance Joseph was uh, is because they wanted to interview Vance Joseph. And, and you might need to correct me on this. I'm trying to my, – my memory is fuzzy. You know that. Um, I believe they wanted to interview Vance Joseph for the defensive coordinator position. And – the Cincinnati Bengals, who he was working with, at the, is, is, was it the Bengals or I can't remember which. He was the defensive backs coach for the Cincinnati Bengals. They blocked the Broncos from being able to do that, and so didn't Denver bring him in as a head coaching candidate? Or, or was it, or wouldn't that have been? Okay? I'm trying to remember how the rule works. Would it have been okay for them to interview him for the head coaching job, but they couldn't interview him for the defensive coordinator's job because if it's a head coaching job, teams can't block you from interviewing them. I believe the way it worked is that they wanted him to be the defensive backs coach for Wade Phillips. And maybe I, I can't remember if it's that or if he wanted, if they wanted him to be the defensive coordinator, it was one of the two. I feel like that's what it was. Either way. He was, he was blocked. The, the Bengals did not allow him to, to interview. And I, I do think that the Broncos, contemplated or actually did want to interview him. So they brought him in as a head coach candidate. I'd have to look up whether or not that they actually went through with that or not, but I knew it was something that they had considered. Um, I think this is way too much talk about Vance Joseph, but (laughs) that, that, that is, uh, that is, that's the most, a recent example, at least with the Broncos. Yeah, I, you know, and I think that for, for at least from my perspective and, and you know, I, I know that there's like non-compete clauses and contracts in, in the business world and in a lot of places where uh, you're not allowed to go get a job with a competitor for a certain amount of time and things like that. And I, I think I understand sort of the philosophy behind blocking assistant coaches from interviewing for jobs with other franchises. But I, I sort of feel like this is a, a good step because just based on free market and and what uh, what coaches have to do to advance their careers, sticking in one place doesn't really work until you kind of reach that upper echelon of being a, a, a coordinator, uh, you know, offensive or defensive coordinator, or uh, or being a head coach. You know, if you're a head coach, you 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 want to stay where you are for as long as possible because it means you're successful. If you're a defensive backs coach or a running back coach or a wide receiver coach, you want that opportunity to move up in the world. And so being asked to interview for a coordinator position and then having the team that you work for say no, that's that's a bit of a letdown. It's holding you back in your career. And you got to imagine it's also creating some animosity between coaches and teams where why wouldn't you let me go and advance my career and, 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 you know, find a better job. And and when you're sort of trying to work your way through the ranks as a a coach in the NFL, not having the opportunity to, to take on those interviews and, and grow. I I just think it's a, I think it was a bad look for the NFL in general. And so I think this is probably a good move. Uh, It it might mean that Denver loses some assistance, but you know, that's going to be the same thing for every team. So I think it, I think it works out. And I, 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 you know, like I said, I don't think that it was a fair rule to begin with. While I think you can find the reasoning behind it, 
I also think that this makes the NFL better because it gives guys a chance to advance. And that makes the product better on the field. And that's really what they have to be going for at every turn. And the Broncos have already lost one assistant. They lost Brandon Staley, who was the outside linebackers coach to the LA Rams, who became Sean McVay's defensive coordinator. So what will be interesting to see is if, if it's an equal move, if that's considered something that can still be blocked or not, since it's not really an advancement move. Right. If it's a since you're not mo- like, yeah. it's, it's not Brandon Staley moving from outside linebackers coach to defensive coordinator. If he was moving from outside linebackers coach to outside linebackers coach, I'm, I'd be curious to see if that's still something that would get blocked or if it's something that is free for teams to continue to do because I, that's something where I could see I would and completely understand allowing teams to block because it's a lateral move. It's not something that's going to advance that person's career one way or another. So it, that's where I, I, I am interested to see what happens with this new rule. But I, like I said at the top, I, I think it's, I, it's a great move for the NFL to, to not hold coaches accountable for wanting to advance their career. I, as you said, it, 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 it wasn't a good look for the NFL and especially the teams that would do it. Yeah, so you, you it, end up looking like a bunch of jerks it, and, and petty. I think it, it, it's a very petty thing to do. I, I mean, it, I think it would have been petty for Vic Fangio to block Brandon Staley. So I, I think it speaks highly of Brandon Staley, but it also speaks to, to Vic Fangio that a 37 year old, has become a defensive coordinator for an NFL franchise, well, which is interesting. Yeah, Sean because McVay isn't he is older than people, Sean McVay? Say, Sean McVay is just looking for for like he's looking for an older brother to come hang out with him or something. Sean McVay is what 26, 27? <laughs> Didn't he just turn twenty one? I think he just graduated from high school, if I'm not mistaken. He he had to sit through the uh, the commencement thing that they did on TV because he didn't get to graduate. I think you know, and good for him graduating from high school and being a head coach in the NFL. I bet that was a rigorous sort of thing to go through. That's are, are the the Sean McVay is really young jokes. Are those old now? Are the are the jokes older than Sean McVay? I think they are older than Sean McVay. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. <laughs>